You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Before we get started with today's episode, we wanted to give a shout out to Mike Cameron. He is one of our devoted listeners, a Patreon supporter, but more importantly, a friend we've had the privilege to get to know over the past few years. If you've listened to any of the other podcasts in our small community, you've probably heard Mike on dozens of episodes showing us what it means to be a great trivia player. Currently, he's having a very tough battle with cancer. And all four of us would like to throw our support behind him and his fight. Yeah, that's right. Mike was uh, one of the first people that we met, uh, the first Geek Bowl that we went to. Uh, He was an early supporter of ours and, like you said, a great, great guy to hang out with. And we wish him the best. If you would like to join all four of us in supporting Mike, you can check out the show notes of today's episode for two separate links. The first link is going to be a Facebook page that his friend Cindy Wiggins Comer started to keep an update on everything that is going on with his journey. And the second link is actually a PayPal address. If you know anyone who has had cancer or you yourself have dealt with it, you know that it is not only a fight on your body, but also monetarily. So if you would like to make a donation to help with some of the medical expenses, you can use that PayPal address and the money will go directly to Mike. We wish Mike the best and we know he's going to put up one hell of a fight. Recorded in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff, this is Triviality. Hello, and welcome to Triviality, the game where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. My name is Neil. I'm here in the studio with Jeff. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Neil? I'm doing really well. Uh, Ken is not here. He's actually braving the snowstorm, which is true. We do have a snowstorm here, except he's he's running on foot for some reason here, and he has a car, but he decided to run. So I don't know, Jeff. He he's has like, those. He's maniac McGeeing it. Yeah, and he has those uh, those things you put on the bottom of your shoes uh, when you're on ice. What are those called? Like the those... the light up sneakers? No, well, yeah, those too. <laughs> he's got light up Snow sneakers, snowshoes. Yes, or the uh, crampons if you're climbing a mountain. That's what I meant. Yeah, the yeah. The, the blades or whatever that you go when you walk around. But that was Matt over there coming to us from L.A. and uh, definitely not a snowstorm over there, right? Uh, no, but it did drop down to 50 degrees, so there was panic uh, over here on the West Coast. And was there any at the disco? Uh, it, it is closed. <laughs> We're not, not allowed to go to the disco still. All right. Well, I have high hopes that it'll come back. Uh, but what's <laughs> what's interesting about today, uh, I don't know if this is the first time this has happened, but we're actually recording a game part-time in the present and part-time in the future because our guest host today, our special guest host, uh, it's actually 1 p.m. the next day where he's coming to us from. Uh, and he's a uh, a not-a-robot supporter on Patreon, which we appreciate. He's coming to us from Sydney, Australia, and that's Jasper Bruce. How's it going, man? 
G'day guys, how are you going? Good, good, good. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, you were uh, one of the coolest tank tops I think I've ever seen, which I know you said you just came from the gym, but uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about your tank top and guns, if you if you please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm wearing this obnoxious frat boy tank top uh, because it's 34 degrees Celsius here, That's which really I think warm. is about 90 something yeah. Fahrenheit in, in, in the old money. <laughs> um, but no, I'm a, I'm a journalist in Sydney, Australia. I write for a British entertainment website called NME. That's uh, normally when I tell Australians about NME, they, I get blank stares, but British people seem to know what it is. Um, but, you know, I just graduated uni end of last year and uh, trivia nerd from way back. I used to host pub trivia in Sydney uh, before COVID. And uh, yeah, that, that's, that's about all there is. Well, we appreciate you being here and uh, congratulations on graduating as well. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, uh, it's just us three right now, and Ken, like we said, is on his way uh, through the snow. So what we're going to do uh, is going to be me and Jeff on a team, sort of the standby, as we said, the statistically uh, the best, I suppose, whatever we call it. And then Matt is going to play solo until Ken can arrive with a steel chair and hopefully save him. So are you okay with that, Matt? Uh, yeah, I'm going to do my best uh, to carry the load. Uh, I guess we're going to be team half a loser right now. Uh, <laughs> maybe we could work our way up to full loser when Ken gets over here. All right, so there'll be team half a loser. Jeff, what are you thinking for our team name? Um, How about, why don't we just to, for once in our lives, we come together and we, we call a truce. We'll be the Carlton Magpies. Okay. That is the most heinous name I have ever heard. But in, in the spirit of, of getting along... I feel like we can make it happen. So we, if we win, everyone's happy. If we lose, we just alienated two different fan bases. But right. Okay. Well, we'll be the Carlton Magpies. Well, let's throw it to the rules guy. He's going to do uh, his best accent from Perth, uh, which I think is a little <laughs> bit different than a Sydney accent, but we'll find out. The rules of the game are simple. 20 questions split into two rounds worth 10 points apiece. At halftime, there'll be a special swing round designed by this week's host. After regulation, players will enter the final round with the points that they've accumulated and will have a chance to wager 0 to 30 points on five categorized questions. At the end of the game, someone will be named the cream of the crop. The cream of the crop. What do you think, Jasper? How did he do on his accent? Pretty good. I think he, he nailed the West Australian vowels there. They're slightly different. He's obviously uh, taken a trip to the Margaret River and uh, been to Perth a few times. I think the rules guy. Very well done. Wonderful. Well, good job, Darren. Uh, great job doing that today. All right. Well, Jasper, feel free to take it away. We're ready to play. All righty. Question one. Filmmaker Tim Burton is famous for his collaborations with Johnny Depp, having cast the actor in eight of the films he's directed. After Depp, which two-time Oscar nominee has appeared in the most of Burton's directorial feature films with seven appearances? I mean, you have Michael Keaton, who is in Dumbo. Oh, man, look at this. <laughs> On the first question, Ken made it through the snow. So let's, uh, let's hook Ken up, and we'll, we'll have him join in in one second. And he's here. Hey, how's it going, guys? We're already down 100 points. It's oh, in one question. Come on, man. What happened? <laughs> so uh, I'm sure... I'd, I'd tell you where I've been, but I'm sure you've already told the audience where I've been, right? We yes. said that you were trekking through the snow in your shoes, not in a car. Okay. Well, that's half true. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We will lock in over here. Okay. Matt, a um, couple names off the top of my head are Danny mm -hmm. DeVito, Helena Bonham Carter, uh, Snape, and Christopher Walken. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I was thinking 
Michael Keaton's only in the Batman ones, right? Basically, so. Yeah, I think just the Batman. And then there's also Catherine O'Hara, who is in Beetlejuice. She's not in a ton couple... of them, though. Okay, those are the two that I thought of. Um, so I, Danny I, DeVito I, I can think of a ton that Danny DeVito is in. I don't know if he was nominated for anything. Um, I could think of less than a ton that Chris Walken was in, but still a few. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely nominated for. There's a couple, Maybe right? Catch me I if think. you can't. Yeah, he's definitely been nominated. I think Chris Walken is a good guess. Okay, well, Walken with Mr. Walken. I might be mad if it's Danny DeVito though. Uh, well, Christopher Walken it was a good guess, but he actually won an Oscar, so I would think he would say that he won. We talked about DeVito and Keaton, but Jeff actually is the one who came up with, I thought, could be the answer. Helena Bonham Carter. It is Helena Bonham Carter. Well done, guys. She was really uh, nominated yeah, twice. And, yeah. Yeah. Burton and Bonham Carter were married from 2001 to 2014, so in that time period, she starred in a whole bunch of films that he directed, including Sweeney Todd, Big Fish, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, Chris I knew... Walken, I think, I think Walken won an Oscar for The Deer Hunter. Yeah. Someone might be able to correct that. Yeah. 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 After this game, we're playing Russian roulette, so... <laughs> Yeah, we can. We can. It's gonna get. It's already hot enough in here, so it'll look the part. Yeah. Well, I knew they they were married, so I I, I was like pretty sure she had like an inordinate amount of appearances in his stuff. Yeah, so. I knew she did. I just didn't realize she was nominated. Maybe for Howard's End or something. Uh, who knows? Yeah. One was for the King's Speech. I'm not sure what the other one is off the top oh. of my head. All righty. Question number two. What is the difference between a meteor and a meteorite? Okay. I think we can lock in, right, Matt? Yeah, definitely. I feel like a meteorite has hit the ground or is in space. I can't remember. A meteor is in the atmosphere, I think. I like that. Yeah, meteor. a meteor is still flying or somewhere in the atmosphere. A meteorite is something that has hit uh, a surface. Okay. Okay. That's like, so you're with... saying the meteor is in the Earth's atmosphere? Yes. But still coming down and the meteorite has struck the Earth's surface? Yes. Yes. Okay. I think a meteor, Matt, is in space, right? Mm-hmm. And a then a meteorite has landed somewhere. It doesn't have to necessarily be Earth, but yeah. I believe it's landed somewhere. Yeah, and points all around there. Well done. According to NASA's website, a meteor is the name for a meteoroid which enters the Earth's atmosphere, and a meteorite is a meteor which has survived its journey through the atmosphere and has hit the ground on Earth. Okay. Is, that, is that what you guys said? I think we said it a little bit wrong, but what, what do you want to do? I'm just giving the points. All yeah, right. let's all. We'll all... Spirit of generosity over yeah. here. The, if they the, win by 10, the I miserable will cry losers foul. return with a handicap score. <laughs> you had a rough day. I'll give you a break. Just like that. Uh, <laughs> what's that song? <laughs> oh, I had a bad day. <laughs> this song comes up a, a lot of times on this podcast, considering that I haven't thought about it in years. And then listen to this podcast. Yeah, but we've had a time. lot of bad days. So it, it that's why. <laughs> We, we might bring it up a lot, but the people who think about it all the time are the American Idol contestants who lost on the show, and that's all they can hear now for the rest of their life. <laughs> all righty, question number three. This is a long question, so I might have to read it a couple of times if the Australian internet keeps pulling its usual tricks. All right, question three. Aside from Andorra Lavella, the capital of Andorra, there are three world capital cities with three words in their names. Port of Spain... Bandair Seri Begawan and Sri Jayawarden Purakoti. For 10 points, name two out of three of the countries which these capital cities belong to. And for a bonus point, name all three. 
I will just add, guys, um, one of these capitals is the legislative capital of its country, and another city of that country serves as its judicial and executive capital. Uh, okay. And we will lock in. Um, so Port of Spain is one that's jumping out to me. What do you think that is one of the island nations that was previously yeah, colonized by Spain? Yeah, I thought it, I thought maybe, what's the country where Port-au-Prince is the capital? Haiti. I think Port of Very Spain proud. might be the other capital. I think it might have two capitals. Oh, you think so? That's not bad. What about uh, uh, Sri Jaya Warden Pura Kote? Yeah, I just thought maybe Sri Lanka just because it starts the same. That's what I was, I mean, that's as far as I can get. All right. <laughs> yeah. So we're saying Haiti for Port of Spain, assuming it might be the secondary legislative mm -hmm. capital and, and uh, Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. Okay. Over here at the uh, Carlton Magpies, I was really thinking super, super hard. Uh, and then I realized I was nowhere near the answer to this question. So Jeff just took over. Um, yeah, that doesn't mean I'm any closer. I 100% agree with you. Port of Spain is in the Caribbean somewhere. I can't remember where. I think Haiti was French. So I stayed away from that. Mm, yeah, good point. It um, might actually be Dominican Republic or something. Possibly. I, I, I think it's one of the smaller ones. We guessed Trinidad and Tobago for that one. Just a guess. Um, I couldn't remember if Sri Lanka was a country, independent or not. I don't know it's in the Indian Ocean. We guessed Indonesia for the Sri Jaya Ward in Pura Kote. So. Okay. And then do we get a third guess or we just have to submit two? You get a third yeah, guess can, for bonus I'll, points. I'll have but, a go three. And we guessed yeah. Thailand as the last one. Neil wrote that down. I don't. I like it. It could be any of these. Okay. Ken and Matt, did you guys want to have a crack at what, where Bandai Seri Begawan might be? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so I think by my count, half points for both teams here. Port of Spain is the capital of Trinidad and Tobago, so that was that was really well done. Bandar Seri Begawan is the capital of Brunei, Ooh. which yeah. pretty uh, pretty tricky. And Sri Jayawardene Purakoti is the legislative capital of Sri Lanka. Mm, all right, oh, nice. Colombo is the executive and judicial capital. Okay, five for each team. Good job, guys. That was a really nasty question. So well done, you guys. <laughs> Alrighty, question four. Which Australasian band of the 80s and 90s took their name from the cramped conditions they rehearsed in shortly after forming? I guess they must have dreamed for their difficult living situation to be over. All right, uh, I wrote down a few names. Jeff wrote down a third one that I think makes a little bit more sense, so we're going to lock in. Yeah, the Austro-Asian bit is kind of hanging me up too here um 80 band of 80s and 90s so maybe men at work yeah so i wrote down men at work and then i think in excess is another one um dream maybe yeah i don't know i don't, I don't know, know the dream reference i don't i don't mind that if you think in excess had australian members i'd be good with that yeah and i think maybe like in extra small or something i don't know it that mean may or something because i don't actually know what nxs stands for i guess it's just a portmanteau for yeah men at work know. doesn't make sense for the living situation or the cramp space uh, yeah i like mm -hmm. nxs let's do that that's a really good guess uh, we just wrote down a bunch of bands that we knew were australian acdc and i believe midnight oil is australian but uh, we just went for the obvious went with men at work no points, unfortunately. Some really good guesses there, and they're all definitely from this time period. The name of this band is Crowded House, and they're best known for their songs Don't Dream It's Over and Weather With You. 
Uh, they're fronted by a New Zealand singer-songwriter and the rest of the band's Australian. Neat. Wow. All righty, question number five. Which two Shakespeare plays contain Italian cities in their titles? I'll give you five points for each. Rochelle, Rochelle, the erotic <laughs> journeys from Milan to Minsk. <laughs> I mean, Rome is in Romeo. So. That was going to be my stretch of an answer, so never mind. I mean, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. <laughs> I think we should go with that and the obvious one. It's not wrong. Is that what you guys are locking in? I think we should. You can't deny its points for that. <laughs> Fine. We're locked in. All right. So the obvious one, Merchant of Venice. Yeah. With backup Romeo and Juliet. Got it. Nobody's even considering that he's being funny. I know. I'm just trying. I thought there was another one because I know there's A Winter's Ver- Tale. Verona is in Romeo and Juliet, but I don't think there's. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was one that has Verona in the name. I'm just looking at pizza boxes in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Domino's, Pizza Hut. Italy. No, like Chicago ones that yeah. would have like authentic Italian style pizza, and then they just have a mm-hmm. map of Italy. On oh, there. like uh, Sicily. But that's a country, right? No, that's just an island. An island. All right. Well, let's just call their bluff too, and we'll because we we know we're going to answer the exact same thing they're going to answer. So let's say Merchant of Venice and uh, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> it's not wrong. Yeah. Look, I, I wasn't going for Romeo and Juliet, and that's kind of why I, I did specify containing uh, Italian cities rather than sort of like a derivative of them. But the answer was the Merchant of Venice and the Two Gentlemen of Verona. So you guys were really close on that one. I knew it was Verona. Verona. I, we're I know. both taking points, right? Absolutely. We're seizing yeah. the points. We're either taking points or not taking points, but we're doing it together. Well, after five questions, um, we're feeling good about ourselves because we're tied at 25. A lot, of, a lot of points have been seized so far this game, though. <laughs> taken by force. You know what it means. Once you cross the Rubicon, Ken. All righty. Question number six. This one's going to hit closer to home, hopefully. Four American presidents have been awarded the Nobel Prize for Peace, but who is the only one to have won it after leaving office? Okay, me and Matt are going to lock in quickly with a good guess. Okay, so we know one of them is Barack Obama. He got it in 2009. Yep. Definitely in office. After that, my knowledge of Nobel Prizes falls off pretty fast, but it would have only started around like 1900. That was my thought. and I. So we've got like McKinley, he wouldn't have won. Roosevelt, maybe. I think Roosevelt won the Nobel Prize for wrestling bears. Nice. <laughs> Taft is going to be a no. Wilson, maybe, because he started the League of Nations. Well, yeah, who signed the Treaty of Versailles? Wilson. Okay, because those are my two guesses were Wilson and then poss- Jimmy Carter. possibly Jimmy which Carter. Which I don't hate. Yeah. But Jimmy Carter was much maligned in politics. Like he's. That's why I'm wondering. He was maligned in politics, but he's also he's become a better figure post-politics. He's for... been lined. He's been lined, exactly. He's been re-lined. He's, he's been building houses and charitable work. So may, that's why I was thinking maybe, you know, he's in consideration. I've been maligned. <laughs> yeah. I kind of like Wilson. Okay. We're going to go with uh, Woodrow Wilson. Tim Allen's neighbor. <laughs> Always peeking his head over. We said uh, Jimmy Carter. Yeah, so one team getting points here. It was Jimmy Carter. Picking up uh, those Wilson peanuts. did win it, went in office, and so have Obama and Roosevelt. But Carter won the prize in 2002 for his work with his nonprofit organization, the Carter Sorry, Center. Sorry, Neil. Let us down. Yeah, which uh, engages in initiatives aimed at advancing international human rights. So there you go. Nice. The Carter Center is my favorite Lil Wayne mixtape. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, question number seven. 
In 2018, American missionary John Allen Chow ventured onto remote North Sentinel Island in an apparent effort to preach Christianity to the Sentinelese, one of the last uncontacted peoples in the world. Chow was subsequently attacked and killed by the tribespeople, who were known for their hostile treatment of outsiders. While it's illegal to travel within three nautical miles of North Sentinel Island, which nearby large nation administers the island and has done so for more than 50 years? Neil and I um, are going to lock in. Okay. I was thinking more of the oceanic region. Okay. Um, Because there's a lot of ocean, there's a lot of islands that are kind of more separate from their mainland countries. Do you think it's Australia? Uh, maybe New Zealand. He did or... say large country, but maybe just meant large comparatively to the... Yeah, compared to the island. We could say New Zealand. I wouldn't mind that. Okay, we're going to lock in with New Zealand. And uh, we said Brazil. Both good guesses. This is actually India. So oh. the, the island is part of the Andaman Islands, which are in the Bay of Bengal. Wow, I didn't know that. Pretty, uh, yeah, they're, they're one of the last uncontacted, peop- uncontacted people. So people aren't allowed to go onto the island in case they have diseases, which the natives might not have immunity to, but also because they will probably die if they go on the island. Yeah, leave but, them alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you leave don't, them alone. You don't need to bring them television and, and other things. Triviality. In our podcast, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, question eight. In 1983... Which country became the first non-American nation to win the America's Cup sailing race? The nation's leader was elated with the victory, declaring to the press that any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up today is a bum. Uh, yeah, either that or their neighbor. I was thinking of that too. My, my, I think I've said this maybe on like seven different episodes of this show, but my only um, you know, point of reference for sailing is White Swall. Uh, the movie. So let's just lock it in. Okay. All right. He did say uh, sacks as a meaning to be fired, which is definitely a British thing and probably mm-hmm. Australian thing. So. Yeah, and I think I think Australia has a really strong rowing and sailing program. I don't think England does. Okay. So going for the game theory. Yeah, sure. It's got to be right eventually. Australia. All right. I haven't seen White Squall since I was probably 10, uh, but I liked the way that he uh, used the language in his question. Made me think of Australia, and uh, the only person I'm guessing who sails more than Australia is uh, Christopher Cross, but he's not the answer to this question, so we're going to go with Australia. Yeah, points all around. That, that was Australia. Those immortal words were spoken by Bob Hawke, Australia's third longest serving prime minister, Hawke is also famous for being a one-time record holder during his university days. While at Oxford, Hawke downed a yard of beer in 11 seconds, which was a world record at the time. So uh, good job, Bob Hawke. (laughs) All righty, question number nine. What is the most populous country in the world that does not have a McDonald's restaurant? You call call McDonald's Maccas, right, in Australia? Yeah, we we call it Maccas, yep. Going to Maccas is a Maccas run. (laughs) <laughs> my favorite Australian idiom. Yeah. You're acting like we don't call it Mickey D's. Mackie D's. Yeah. Hey, you guys have good ones too, yeah. 
Mickey D's garbage. Yeah, oh, I, right. never, I never go there. Um, let's see. Me and my brother call it the Mac Shack, which I think is a, uh, I reckon that's even more innovative than Mac is, to be honest. But anyway. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and lock in here. We're so, thinking a couple different directions. So Neil thought possibly communist, former communist. I know China's got McDonald's. North Korea is not that big, right? No. Okay. Um, other big countries I'm thinking of, I'm thinking poorer countries mm-hmm. like Nigeria, Bangladesh. Those are both hundred million plus countries. I like maybe Bangladesh. Okay, that's a that's a favorite go-to answer of mine. So okay, I'll go with that. Bangladesh, we're locking it in. And we are just making sure we pick a country without a McDonald's and with with North Korea. Yeah, one team's going to kick themselves here. It's actually Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria is the seventh most populous, and Bangladesh, which is the eighth most, also oh. does not McDonald's. So that was Very skinniest close. stuff there. All right, question number 10, final, final question for round one. Perhaps inspired by the large Hispanic community of the city it parodies, the soundtrack of which video game features an original song entitled La Vida es una lenteja, or Life is a Lentil? The game, released in 2002, is the fourth entry of a popular video game series. We can probably lock in. I think this is uh, San Andreas. I was going to say, it's probably one of the GTA games. Um, and that makes sense for the fourth one. San, San Andreas isn't the fifth one, is it? No, because it was, it, I think it was before, was it before Vice City? Oh, Vice City, that's the other one. You're right. So maybe we can just say Grand Theft Auto, though, right? Because he said, what's the franchise, right? Yeah. Okay. I think I think we've said enough. Okay, so we'll say GTA, Grand Theft Auto. Uh, yeah, the fourth one was definitely San Andreas, set in fictional Los Angeles, basically uh, Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, points all around here. It was Grand Theft Auto. It was actually for Grand Theft Auto Vice, Vice City. Vice City. Yeah. Uh, but I'll give you I'll give you points for Grand Theft Auto. Other lyrics from the song translated from Spanish include "Get up, go and open the fridge, and look to see if you have mortadella." And <laughs> And life is a lentil, either take it or leave it. So there you go. Life really is a lentil. <laughs> that's that famous cover song that the Rascal Flats did, right, Matt? Ooh. All right. Well, uh, uh, that's one of my favorite songs, the original Life is a Highway. Anyway, I thought it was a good joke. All right. After the first round, uh, we're still tied. Uh, 45 points apiece. Uh, so right before we throw it back to Jasper, Matt, uh, you've been pretty active over at the Crop uh, and Discord. Why don't you tell people where they can reach out to us and hang out? Uh, you can reach out to us at the crop and on Discord, where we will answer questions. The and Facebook.com slash the crop. Uh, I ask a lot of silly questions. Uh, we post spoiler threads. A lot of fun stuff going on there. And if you want a sneak peek of some of the games that are going to be coming up, you could be a play tester for games because hosts are always reaching out on those two locations. Yeah, and uh, make sure to reach out to us on Twitter and uh, Instagram at Triviality Pod. Tweet at us. Tweet at us. Yeah, tweet at us while wearing tweed. If you can. Uh, all right, Jasper, feel free to uh, let us know what the swing round's about today. Cool. So this week's swing round is all about performers who have been nominated for either the Best Supporting Actor or Best Supporting Actress Oscar. I'm going to give you the year and the character that each star was responsible for playing. And I want you to give me the film and the actor or actress in question. So it's half points if you can only remember one of those two things. Also, too, I'll just clarify that the year given is the year that the Oscar ceremony honoured not the year that the Oscars took place in. So, for instance, Parasite was the 2019 Best Picture winner, even though the ceremony did take place in 2020, if that makes sense. And uh, Mm -hmm. is this going to be worth 100 points total then? 
Yeah, so that'll be worth 100 points. Yeah. All right, sounds good. Let's get started. Big swing. Cool. Question one, Anton Chigger, 2007. Question two, Sergeant Bob Barnes, 1986. Question three, Mona Lisa Vito, 1992. Question four, Kirk Lazarus, 2008. Question five, Desdemona, 1965. Question six, stands with a fist, 1990. Question seven, Chris Kringle, 1947. Question eight, Dave Boyle, 2003. Question nine, Marion Crane, 1960. And question 10, Sam Thompson, 2014. All right, we're going to think about these for a few minutes, see how many we can come up with, and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Or well, call she, the police. Or call the police, like she should have, <laughs> exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. All right, we are all locked in. So if we could get the characters in the ears one more time, we'll give our answers for 100 points this round. Yeah, this could be a make or break stuff. So question one was Anton Chigar, 2007. What'd you guys have for that one? Neil, call it. Frendo. <laughs> uh, yeah, we went with uh, No Country for Old Men and uh, Javier Bardem. And we said the same. Yeah, 100% correct. That was No Country for Old Men. Javier Bardem's character was Anton Chigar. He won the Oscar for that one. Question two, Sergeant Bob Barnes, 1986. What do you guys reckon? All right, for this one, we were thinking about uh, war movies. We mentioned Full Metal Jacket, but thought that was a little bit later. We uh, talked about, what was the other one that we said? Uh, Apocalypse Now. Yeah, Apocalypse Now. But we went right down the middle there, said Platoon, and went with Willem Dafoe. That's a really good guess. I did not hear the sergeant uh, when you gave the clue, and I'm 100% positive. I think it is Platoon, but uh, we ended up going Broadcast News and uh, Albert Brooks. Yeah, it is Platoon, but it's actually Tom Berenger's character. They were both mm. up for the Oscar, but I think Defoe's character is Sergeant Elias. can't quite remember off the top of my head, but Tom Berenger and Platoon. 
Question three was Mona Lisa Vito, 1992. What did you guys think? Yeah, uh, this was actually one I knew. This is uh, Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny. Yep, Marissa Tomei, my cousin Vinny. It yep, seems so our I'm... answers were identical. <laughs> spot on, yep. And she won the Oscar for that as well. A question for Kirk Lazarus, 2008. What do you guys reckon? I do often find myself being a guy, playing a guy, trying to be another guy. Um, this is Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. Yeah, I like that you threw in a character who uh, is Australian, uh, at least the main character is. So we said Robert Downey Jr., Tropic Thunder. Yeah, one of the better Australian accents to come out of Hollywood that I've seen. That was indeed Robert Downey Jr.'s character in Tropic Thunder. Still blows my mind that he was Oscar nominated for that. <laughs> um, question five was Desdemona, 1965. What do you guys think? We, uh, we weren't sure. We, we assumed that it was Othello because that is the name of the character from the play. We just couldn't think of an actor or actress from that uh, time period. So we just said Othello. We said Othello uh, just based on the play. And we just guessed Liz Taylor. Yeah, it's a really good guess. It is Othello. So both, both teams getting points there. But it was Maggie Smith playing Desdemona. And she's probably best known these days as uh, Professor McGonagall from Harry Potter. It is. I wonder if she did her lines in sort of that, like, um, when she talks, I love her voice because it sounds like she's very cold all the time. It's quivering. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, it's very, she's shaking, so. Yes, I'm sure she played the sexy Desdemona as a quivering old woman. <laughs> a 1990 stands with a fist. What did you guys say for that? We said Dances with Wolves, uh, but I don't know the actor at all. And uh, I know this is sort of a deep cut, but we knew it was Dances with Wolves and actress Mary McDonnell. Oh, yeah, that was her. That is a sensational pull there. Well done. It is Mary McDonnell in Dances with Wolves. I know, it's, now, was... I, now I remember. Yeah. yeah. Question seven was Chris Kringle from 1947. What did you guys say for that? All right. So uh, Neil, Neil, this is one of his favorite performances, I guess. Um, he couldn't remember exactly the first name, but we're pretty sure the actor's last name in Miracle on 34th Street is Glenn. So that's what we locked in with. We said Miracle on 34th Street, and we don't know the actor. Yes, so it is indeed Miracle on 34th Street. The actor's name is Edward Gwen. Ah, so close. Close, close, but no cigar. And he did say Edward, but... Yeah, I couldn't... I, I thought it was... It was funny. I was more sure that it was Glenn, but Gwen, that makes sense. That's all right. Question number eight, Dave Boyle from 2003. I thought this was probably the hardest one. What did you guys come up with for this? Yeah, this was tough. We thought maybe this was the crash year, and we said Matt Dillon. Oh, yeah. So um, if we're right, this is one of my favorite movies and also one of my favorite performances by one of my favorite actors. We think this is the Tim Robbins performance in Mystic River. But if you're wrong, it's really embarrassing. It's very embarrassing. And I'm going to... Uh... Knife you by the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite movies as well. It is Tim Robbins from Mystic River. Um, a, yeah. I think Crash was maybe 2005. Yeah. It was definitely around that. That's, I mean, that's, a, that's a very strong guess, I think. That was definitely around that time. Good job, guys. Question nine, Marion Crane from 1960. What would you guys say for that? Yeah, we said Janet Lee for Psycho. Yeah, another one that uh, I happen to know the film. It was uh, Janet Lee's performance in Psycho. Yeah, spot on. Uh, full points all around for that one. It was Janet Lee from Psycho. And the final one, Sam Thompson, 2014. What'd you guys say for that? This one was agonizingly tough. Um, we settled on Moneyball, and we think it's Jonah Hill in Moneyball. 
This one, we, we took a shot in the dark. Um, I knew 2014 was Birdman, and I was like, maybe it's Edward Norton, but when we did the math, we thought it would even out better if there was another actress, and we took a guess and said Emma Stone. Yeah, so this was the curveball. This was indeed Emma Stone from Birdman. Well done, oh, you guys. That, I think that's actually that's probably the trickiest one, actually. I think that's that's really well done. After the swing round, it looks like the scores are 105 for Team Half a Loser, which is now Team. What is it, Matt? Both full on losers. Full losers. <laughs> and uh, Team Full on Raging Losers. And uh, Team Carlton Magpies at 125. Alrighty, moving into round two then. Question one. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon are one of the seven wonders of the ancient world and the only one whose existence is disputed by scholars. This mm. conjecture is mainly due to a lack of sources from the time period which detailed the gardens and a lack of archaeological evidence that has been uncovered in the years since. If they did exist in Babylon, though, they would have been in what Middle Eastern country? We can lock in. So Middle Eastern country, uh, Babylon. Yeah. I, I don't know where... Babylon would have been modern day, but I'm thinking something like maybe Iraq. Mm -hmm. um, all I know about these is I would build them in Civ 4 when I would play, and you could put them anywhere then, so it doesn't help. Okay. Uh, Babylon, you seem to have a strong leaning towards Iraq. Yeah, it's not too strong, but that's what I think we should go with. Okay, works for me. Iraq. And we have also locked in with Iraq. Yep, points all around. It is Iraq. Babylon was located in ancient Mesopotamia and was about 60 miles southwest of modern-day Baghdad. Nice, nice. job, guys. Yay. Wow. All righty, question number two. Similar to the informal baseball term of a goose egg, what animal lends itself to the cricketing term for a score of zero runs by a batsman? I just wrote down three random animals, Jeff. I don't know if you want to just choose one you think it might be because I have no idea. Oh, I really just want to go with the first one because I, I just like saying it. All right, we're locked in. So something circular like a goose egg. Yeah, I think it's another, it's got probably another bird. A swallow carrying coconuts. Maybe, maybe just a like a duck. Duck's duck. Egg. Ooh, that's not bad. Duck. All right, they're going duck. Uh, I wrote down emu, ostrich, and then Jeff chose. I just kind of wanted to say wombat. Man, I wish it was a wombat. That'd be cool. But it is actually a duck. So well done there, uh, Team Huffalooza. That was that was really Man. good. Yeah, the term, it's a shortening of duck's egg, and it's said mm -hmm. to originate from the egg similarity to the shape of the number zero. Yeah, baseball and cricket share a lot of kind of similar names like that. Uh, so I figured it was probably something close. Good job, Matt. It's a fascinating... Good job, good job Googling that, Matt. <laughs> 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 that's a fascinating sport cricket I, I like watching it and i have to understand it a little bit better like you said maybe watch some informative videos all righty question number three there have been multiple attempts to bring the 1981 pulitzer prize winner for fiction to the big screen however a major reason that a film adaptation has never been produced is that john belushi chris farley and john candy who are all touted to play the lead role of ignatius have all passed away prematurely. While it was the only novel written by its author, he proved he was one of the sharpest in the shed when it was finally published more than a decade after his death. What's the name of this book? I really don't know. I, I This is really fascinating, though, with Belushi, Farley, and Candy, you know, wanting to be involved. I'm thinking of that word as like something that would be sharp, like a sharp tool in the shed. I don't know if that might be like an author name or something. I don't know. 
Nothing's coming to mind though. Yeah, I have a guess. I think they've they've made it into an animated movie, so maybe that doesn't count. But oh, if you yeah, go for it. All right, uh, I think this is very fascinating, and it's a great question. Uh, we have a guess. I don't think it's right, but at least we're we're gonna give it a shot. Um, so I'm not actually sure. I just I know that I've heard the story. Um, Sharpest tool. Yeah, so that would be maybe something where the name is like a bone saw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i got you for 30 chapters <laughs> all right we have no idea so we are just gonna lock in with bone saw for because the bone saw is the sharpest tool in jeff shed that's true and it's always ready um we didn't know but uh i know watership down i think is a famous book and i can't remember if that's the one with the bunnies that's animated but that's what we went with so no points here unfortunately the name of this book is a confederacy of dunces and it's by John Kennedy Tool. Oh. Uh, in 2013, director Steven Soderbergh called the adaptation Cursed, and other stars who have been linked to the lead role over the years include Zach Galifianakis, Will Ferrell, and John Goodman, but luckily they're all still alive. Oh, I have heard uh, of that book, but I don't know much about it, to be honest. I don't either. Yeah, it's been on my reading list for a long time. I just really love that story of the adaptation, or lack thereof. Alrighty, question number four. The most fatal air crash of all time resulted in 583 deaths. The air crash occurred in 1977 when two Boeing 747 jets collided in Tenerife on the Canary Islands. What was unusual about the circumstances of the crash? Other than everything you just said. Um, <laughs> uh, hold on, Neil. Let me see if I can remember this. Okay, I, I think I know... I think I got it. All right. So do you think maybe a bird flew into the turbine and messed it up or maybe the pilots were drunk or? Yeah. The only other thing I think it would be like there was like no distress calls or anything, but I don't think that that's like. There wouldn't be enough. a time for a distress call if you just like rammed right into another plane though. Right. But I feel like there've been other crashes caused by birds, but I feel like that would be a constant problem. Drunk drunk pilots? Drunk pilots. 1977, the time frame works out. <laughs> the golden age. <laughs> All right, let's say the, pi the pilots were intoxicated. Though, how would they know? Mm -hmm. Would they know? I don't know. They got the black they box. They took a breathalyzer. I couldn't remember if this was like, it was the deadliest like domestic crash because technically they were both Spanish Airlines and the Canaries. But I want to say that this crash happened on the ground. So that's what we locked in with. Oh. So points to one team here. Uh, this was, yeah, two aircraft colliding on the ground in Tenerife. So Duh. yeah, my, my dad and my brother are both pilots. So as as a kid, air crash investigations was always on in our house because I was obsessed with, obsessed with it. Um, so, just, yeah. just want to disclaim really... that uh, we don't think pilots are usually drunk on the job. Yeah, I hope not. Um, my brother's out flying an aircraft today, so let's hope that on Australia Day, our national day, he's uh, not not having too much fun up there. <laughs> oh, it is Australia Day. You're right. We've gotten how many 14 questions into this, and I wouldn't even realize. Yeah, it's, it is Australia. It's kind of Australia Day is kind of a bit of a divisive one these days because I don't know how much you guys know about it, but it's it, it's the day that English settlers arrived in Australia, and English settlers were pretty 
murderous to the native Australian. So it's kind of, for the more sort of progressively minded people in Australia, it's kind of not really a celebrated day as much, you know? Um, so it's, yeah. So it's the it's not, Columbus Day equivalent pretty much. Yeah, exactly. But we don't have like a 4th of July, like a federation from England sort of day that's celebrated. Man, all these people vying for my job of Debbie Downer. I know. Sorry. <laughs> All right, yeah. who guys in the next question? Let's go. All right. Um, no one. Good. That's good. Um, <laughs> question five. For a play or musical in New York's theatre district to be considered on Broadway, it must play to a theatre with a minimum of how many seats? Mm. This is an interesting question. Can't even begin to guess. And I say interesting because I'm interested to see if Neil knows it. On the low end, I think it might be that first one, but I feel like that's too small and I feel better about the second one. Okay. We can go with your uh, second gut reaction. What do you What do you feel about uh, like half a G? Yeah, I feel like it has to be a round number because otherwise this is a really tough question that would have to probably be like within a certain percentage. So maybe um, 500 seats, 1,000 seats? Thousand is like kind of a lot. Yeah, a thousand seems like too much because they have don't they have matinee productions of Broadway? Like I'm sure. So yeah. you would so you would think that they you wouldn't have a thousand seat Broadway, you know, show with only a hundred people showing up. Do so they, I think five hundred is too much? Or do you think that's good? Five five hundred is still a lot for two fifty? I think I like two fifty. Okay. Two fifty. I wrote down seven hundred and twelve hundred and I I don't even know if those are right. I, I could be either too high or, you know, one is too low, but uh, we went 1,200. So the number was brought up. It's 500, actually. Um, yeah, and I kick yourself. It's, it's kind of, I kind of always think of them as, as bigger than that, but I suppose that is just a minimum. Um, 100 to 499 is considered off-Broadway. So there you go. And okay. two is considered my one-person show. <laughs> and I paid Ken and Neil to be there. One of the plays I directed, we had no one come, and I was the only person in the audience, and I directed it, so I had to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, grim. He was he was cackling with tears running down his face. <laughs> you you what, guys are now full losers. <laughs> what was the production that uh, that no one went to? Uh, I mean, people did go to it. We just we happened to have one night that uh, no one came because the weather was bad. But it it was a uh, a parody. Uh, a parody play about uh, Bill Pullman, the actor, um, always that being one. second fiddle. Oh, that's right. So um, I saw it. It was Full House on the night I came. Yeah, it was when you came. Yeah, it was. It was called Once Upon a Rom Com: The Bill Pullman Story, and it was about Bill Pullman and his fairy godfather Jeff Goldblum trying to get him a date. You still did it, even though nobody came. Yeah, I mean, we had to because um, it was good for the actors to keep uh, keep, practicing. keep practicing, but um, especially Phil. Well, especially Phil. Yeah, <laughs> needs a lot of practice. That Phil. It was funny. It was one of just our... kidding. He's in a new movie. He's a great actor. He is in a new movie. It's on yeah. Amazon Prime. And right now, and intervention. What? An intervention. Thank you. And intervention. Yeah, directed no by our friend Dan Eden and Kevin Kirchman shot it. Um, Holy crap! I yeah. didn't know this. Starring Phil and Jeremy Eden, who's been on the show from ninety under ninety. Um, yeah, no. Check out an intervention. Yeah. Hard to say. Fun to watch. Yes, it is on Amazon Prime. Well, uh, segueing not too far from film, film and TV, question six. The Showtime sitcom Episodes focuses on two British writers who are forced by network executives to cast a real-life actor in the American adaptation of their highbrow comedy series. Which actor, who plays a fictionalized version of himself, is picked for the lead role in the series within a series? I'm good on this one, Matt. 
Okay. Me I think too. Matt that's is good. also good on this one. LeBlanc? Matt per LeBlanc. Chance. Yeah. That's what we went with. Yeah, that's correct. Matt LeBlanc. He won a Golden Globe for his role in the series. He's he's probably best known for his work on um, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say Lost in Space. Ooh, that's a really good uh, reference there with William Hurt. and Yeah. I saw them in the theater and I had a cup, a Lost in Space cup. Mm, I bet you were, you loved that cup. The soda was better than the movie. You probably sure. refused to drink out of anything but the Lost in Space cup. <laughs> Until I got my Phantom Ring, the Billy Zane movie. <laughs> oh, God. Episodes is a great series. Really recommend it if you haven't watched it. Um, all righty, question seven. This is my last Australian question, I promise. Uh, in Australia... One major American fast food chain is rebranded as Hungry Jack's due to the fact that its American licensing name was already trademarked in Australia prior to the chain's entry into the market. Hungry Jack's has the same menu as its American counterpart and appropriately enough operates with the slogan, the burgers are better at Hungry Jack's. Name the American fast food chain of which Hungry Jack's is a derivative. We can lock in over here because uh, one of the Aussie Rules teams has it on their, their Guernsey or their jersey. I believe in Australia they're called Guernseys, right? Yeah, the AFL, they call them Guernseys. In uh, rugby league, which is sort of the other big uh, football sport, they're called jerseys. So regional, I suppose. It's a regional dialect. Okay. Um, yeah, Burger King maybe? I'm, I'm like 95% sure it's Burger King. What about I'm going to Wendy's? No? Uh, you don't think they have Wendy's? Think... All right. <laughs> All right, we'll say uh, Burger King. Yeah, I love the way this logo looks. It's almost the identical logo to Burger King, but it says Hungry Jacks. Yeah, so points for both teams. It's Burger King, and they sponsor the West Coast Eagles in the AFL, so you're spot on there as well. It's convenient for Burger King that their logo does not have like a crown in it ever. Did I ever tell a story? Yeah. Right, it's just a burger. It, well, here's the thing. I, I don't know if I ever told a story, but my great-grandma, my mom's grandma... Uh, in Chicago, they had a Burger King that just opened like in the 60s, and the original Burger King logo was a king sitting on a burger. That was the giant sign. And so she, had a, she had a phobia. She would never eat there because she said, I don't want to eat a burger someone sat on. That's a, tr <laughs> that's a true story. And then later, uh, Burger King introduced the Sneak King, and that put a pin in it. Exactly. All righty, question eight. Using Google Translate, I've translated the first verse of a well-known song into Malay, the official language of Malaysia, and then back into English. I'd like for you to identify the song, which was recorded in the 1970s, from these mangled lyrics. All right, here we go. I'm just a skinny young man, never know the good from the bad, but I knew the love before I left kindergarten. Living alone with a big fat fanny. She is a naughty babysitter. Hi, big lady. You made me a bad boy. Yeah, I got it. Mm -hmm. There was one line in there that really pushed it over the edge for me. This is this is a fun question. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. You're the 70s music man. Yeah, but I'm terrible <laughs> at this style of uh, question. So, But I knew the love before I left kindergarten. It sounds like it's Queen. I just don't know what song. Do you want to go Fat Bottom Girls? Sure. Okay, we're going to go Fat Bottom Girls. Yeah, I was wondering. One of the lines is, living alone with a big fat fanny. Of course it's Fat Bottom Girls. It's got to be. Yeah, it is. It's Fat Bottom Girls. Well done. Um, yeah, so I was just a skinny lad, never knew no good from bad, but I knew love before I left the nursery. Mm. Left alone with a big fat fanny. She was such a naughty nanny. Hey, big woman, you made a bad boy out of me. Well done, guys. Yeah. 
righty, question nine. What does the acronym USB stand for? And uh, we can lock that in. Oh, really? I don't know this, Matt. Um, something, something slot. No, it's, <laughs> I think it's like storage. It's serial bus, I think is the S and the B. It's, it's not oh. what you, it's not like literal. I think it's, it's either like unit serial bus. Yeah. Something like that. Um, this is one that we always, this one and like, uh, HTML. The, HTML, HTTP, all those kind of things. www, we get that one wrong all the time. Universal serial bus. I think that's it. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, we're going to lock in with that. Well, we found uh, Matt's repository of knowledge on this episode, too, because it's a universal serial bus. Yeah, points all around. Universal serial bus. Well done, guys. Universal serial bus is also my favorite ride at the Fruit Loops amusement park. (laughs) (laughs) Which we've learned is made of the flavor fruit. Matt collapsed. <laughs> That'd be a great ride, just eating cereal and driving around like a fun monorail or something. Uh, Please tell me it's, it, a, it's like a double-decker bus like the Heaven London. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is going to make a great episode title card. So <laughs> I'm very excited for, the, for that. All righty, last question of regulation. Question 10. The stand-up routines of actor and comedian Thomas F. Wilson often feature... Stop Asking Me the Question, a song composed by Wilson, which focuses on his interactions with inquisitive fans. According to the song, some of the questions Wilson is frequently asked are, was that real manure? And would you call my friend a butthead for his answering machine? What iconic film role is Thomas F. Wilson best known for portraying? We're locked in over here. Indeed. Is this Mr. Bean? No, I think this is uh, Biff and Back to the Future, right? Let me see the question again. So the two lines from the song, which I I'm, I don't know this name and I don't know the song, um, but the two lines are: "Was that real manure?" and "Would you call my friend a butthead for his answering machine?" Points oh, me yeah. towards Biff from Back to the Future. One hundred percent. That right. makes sense. We're gonna make like a tree and get out of here and say Biff. <laughs> Yeah, we, we went with the same. Uh, it's a really funny act if you have a chance to see it. I believe that one of the opening lines is, is Michael J. Fox nice? Or he keeps repeating it. So that's what we went with. Yeah, points all around. It's Biff from uh, Back to the Future. All right, ladies and gentlemen, after regulation, uh, both teams scored 70 points in the second round, bringing our totals to 175 for Team Full-On Loser and 195 for Team Carlton Magpie. So very close. A lot of points to wager with. What are those final round categories, Jasper? All right. Your end game categories are what's my age again? I miss you. Damn it. All the small things and the rock show. Now you're going to want to pay specific attention because if you blink, you might miss it. All right, Uh, me and Matt just discussed what we always do wrong in the final round, and we decided we bet too low, so we're pushing our chips in. And you know what? We are also all in. Just like every movie with poker in it. (laughs) Everybody just pushes it all in all the time. Even even if it doesn't make sense. I was going to (laughs) say. I got pocket twos. (laughs) Every every actor is directed to just push their chips in at any point for no reason, just because it looks cool. (laughs) And also to disturb the pile, just... The dealer loves it. Alrighty, here are your questions. What's my age again? Currently, 
The world's oldest known living land animal is Jonathan, a giant tortoise who was born in the seashells, but now lives on the island of St. Helena, where he roams the grounds of the governor's residence. Within five years, how old is Jonathan? Question two, I miss you. Phil Hartman was the first recurring guest star on The Simpsons to have his characters retired from the show following his death. Name one of the two recurring characters that Hartman voiced prior to his passing in 1998. Question three, damn it. In 2014, music website Consequence of Sound compiled a list of the 10 most profane hip-hop artists between the years 1985 and 2013. The site calculated the results by determining how many swears are used on average by each artist per song of their discography. From three guesses, name two of the artists that cracked the top 10. Question four, all the small things. Which small Asian country has the highest proportion of its population living in its capital city? And just as a side note, I'm looking for a country that has a name that's distinct from its capital city. So not Singapore, Monaco or the Vatican City. And question five, The Rock Show. Before finding success as a solo artist, Josh Tillman, a.k.a. Father John Misty, was the drummer for which band from 2008 to 2012? All right, we will consider these answers and hope for better luck than we always have. We'll be right back. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. All right, we are locked in. Me and Matt have our fingers crossed. we got a big victory coming up. Yeah. Uh, let's hope. I don't know. I'm, I'm like 50-50 on some of these. All righty. Question one. What's my age again? Currently, the world's oldest known living land animal is Jonathan, 
a giant tortoise who was born in the Seychelles, but now lives on the island of St. Helena, where he roams the grounds of the governor's residence. Within five years, how old is Jonathan? What did you guys reckon? Uh, so I'm familiar with this because I saw a lot of jokes on Twitter about this turtle being alive during slave times and doing nothing about it. Um, so that's where my reference comes from. So we're trying to get him back into the 1850s, 1860s, somewhere around that era. So we settled on 175. Yeah, I remember thinking that he was, holy crap, almost 200. And we did 190. All right, one team getting points here. He's thought to be between 188 and 189. So I would have accepted anywhere from 183 to 194. Man, that's rough. Off to a good start. <laughs> so well done there to the Carlton Magpies. All righty, question two. I miss you. Phil Hartman was the first recurring guest star on The Simpsons to have his characters retired from the show following his death. Name one of the two recurring characters that Hartman voiced prior to his passing in 1998. Yeah, you might remember me from such questions as this one, uh, Troy McClure. <laughs> we also went with Troy McClure. Yep, both teams getting points here. Troy McClure or Lionel Hutz, I would have accepted as well. All righty, question three, damn it. In 2014, Consequence of Sound compiled a list of the 10 most profane hip-hop artists between the years 1985 and 2013. The site calculated the results by determining how many swears are used on average by each artist per song of their discography. From three guesses, name two of the artists that cracked the top 10. All right. We said Eminem pretty quickly, uh, NWA, and uh, last one, Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne. Excuse me. I almost said Lil Wayne. How yes. embarrassing would that be? Lil Wayne. We Wheezy F baby. It's like Lil Sweetness. Uh, we had a similar discussion. We threw out uh, such names as Jao Rule, Dr. Dre, Nas, Tupac, Too Short, and Biggie, but uh, we ended up going with Eminem, NWA, and uh, threw in a little Luda, Ludacris. Yeah, wow, well done. Ludacris uh, does make it, um, which I was kind of surprised by, so well done. Um, so one team getting points. You could have had any two of Ghetto Boys, Scarface, Juvenile, NWA, Dr. Dre, Tupac, Schoolboy Q, UGK, Ludacris, or D12. Eminem, mm. shockingly mm. not making it. Um, Ghetto Boys came out on top with an average of 46.4 swear words per song. Well, Eminem's the lead singer of D12. I was just going to say, he technically makes it as part of D12. <laughs> oh, sure, okay. Oh, do you want to count that then? No, I no. do not. Okay. <laughs> we need to remain true to our loser origins. So. Oh, you didn't get points <laughs> for that one. Okay. All righty, question four, all the small things. Which small Asian country has the highest proportion of its population living in its capital city? Um, I'm pretty sure this is Qatar. We said Nepal. So great, Paul, there it is, Qatar. 92% of Qatar's population lives in Doha. Well done, guys. It's, it's not very big, so just need like to, our chances of winning this game. I need to give back all the coffee I've ever <laughs> drank from Neil because coffee's for closers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and finally, The Rock Show. Before finding success as a solo artist, Father John Misty was the drummer for which band from 2008 to 2012? I know this one. It's uh, Fleet Foxes. Oh, that's interesting. I knew the, who the person was, um, and I don't know why. We just wrote down drive-by truckers. I, who knows? That's why we wrote. Yeah, it was Fleet Foxes. Uh, I, presumably, he got bored because not a whole lot of drum work going on in their music. <laughs> um, but yeah, well done, guys. Fleet Foxes. He got bored of Fleet Foxes and went on to do the very exciting music of Father John Misty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I 
saw a thing on like, I don't know if you guys like the hard times on Facebook, something they posted ages ago that was like, um, Fleet Fox's drummer escapes while the band's out getting gas or something. (laughs) (laughs) Broken shackles. (laughs) Yeah, the hard times are pretty funny sometimes. So good. Well, I've tabulated the final scores, and uh, unfortunately, the uh, trend continues. It looks like team team full-on losers uh, with 145, still a respectable score, but today's cream of the crop with 285 points, the Carlton Magpies. The cream of the crop! Bringing unity to the uh, divisive fandom of the Aussie rules. All the way across (laughs) Melbourne. Yes. You guys. Um, well, um, well, that's enough said, I guess. What more <laughs> needs to be said at this point? Jasper, this was an awesome game. Thank you for putting it together for us. Uh, any, any last words or anything you'd like to shout out if places people can check out your, your writing, anything like that? Oh, no. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. i uh, real privilege to be able to uh, join the big leagues for an episode and, and write a game for you guys. So thanks so much for having me. Um, and I suppose just a shout out to my brother, cause he helped play test, uh, some of the questions, for me um but yeah thanks again for having me i've been meaning to tell neil to stop telling our guests welcome to the big leagues when we get onto the skype calls (laughs) (laughs) well uh jasper is going to be getting a copy of the uh triviality contract he's going to have to sign and hopefully his agent will approve of it uh, of his guaranteed money it's too late now that's true. Uh, well, thank you, Jasper, for taking the time with us today. Uh, best of luck on getting a job in the AFL, like you told us before we started recording. Uh, I'm sure they would be lucky to have you. Uh, if you'd like to join Jasper on Patreon and uh, help support the show like he does, you can go to patreon.com slash trivialitypodcast, uh, get some extra uh, audio, some uh, boxes, stickers, and other perks, and uh, it would mean a lot to our show. We're trying to hit 500 patrons this year of 2021. But uh, for Matt, Jeff, Ken, Jasper, and myself... We'll see you next time. That was Triviality. That's okay. I was <clears throat> I was driving Angie's car the other day, and I meant to turn the radio off, and I hit the on-off to the car. The ejection switch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got thrown out of the car like it was uh, too fast, too furious. <laughs> you crashed as dummy. Got to use the Nas.